Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast. Thank you so much for watching. We are rediscovering the ancient way here on the program. You can always find us at pathdesign.com or, of course, on our YouTube channel. And you know the drill. We are, I look, look I, I, I hit stop on part two, record. Here we go, part three. No time to waste. We've got to get to it. We've got so much content here um, that I want to just keep moving. Um, just to reiterate just a little bit of what we touched in part two specifically, we talked about how there is a seal and a sign. There is a mark upon the foreheads and upon the hands of Yahweh's people, and it is hands down his Torah. It, it, it is his law. It is his ways. And, and if you don't have that, you will receive another mark, and it is set aside for the lawless ones. And I would say this is not something that is just before us um, in, you know, eons of time ahead of us or, or tomorrow, whenever the, that age comes, it is something that is also right now. We are marked right now. We are we are the sheep or the goats now. Now, that is a day to come when, when, as we already talked about in part two as well, where Yeshua will sit enthroned and he will, he will determine, he will separate the sheep from the goats. And he makes it very clear that, that he's the separator and and one's going to inherit the kingdom and the other are out. They're out. They're, they're booted out. And, and ironically, they're just like the parable of the talents that we talked about where the worthless, lazy servant who was afraid of the master, because I think he didn't even really know his master, he's cast out, out into darkness where there's gnashing of teeth and weeping. And worst of all, he's not in the presence of the master. We see... Again, when we look at the whole entirety of the Word of God, we see the whole thing beginning to end, and it all falls in the line. And, and a lot of times I don't get it, but sometimes I do, and praise the Father. But sometimes it makes sense. So we have to ask the question, is holiness imputed in a one-time gift basket that comes to us and we have it all? Or is it something that is added to us that we are responsible for doing, moving towards, for for adding to our lives incrementally, faith to faith to faith, adding holiness, adding consecration, adding sanctification in our process of becoming more like Yeshua. But what does that mean? We say, we've said that our whole Christian lives. We're just becoming more and more into the likeness of the Son. Well, okay, yes, amen. Praise God, brother. But can you tell me some lines about what that looks like and how you do that? That's what I'm saying to myself and what I'm presenting to you that we have got to begin to move towards. I don't know if strategic is a very good word that's applicable, but you know, a little more intent and purpose in what we do with the rest of our days post-regeneration, our salvation. I said we were going to read Revelation chapter 18, uh, at, starting at verse 4, so let's do that. Again, jumping off of, um, of Yeshua who is going to be separating the, the sheep from the goats. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated from his glory. And he cried out with a mighty voice, saying, Fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place of demons, and a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Wait a minute, there's unclean stuff in Revelation? In, the, in an age yet to come? Oh, stink. I thought clean and unclean was done away with, right? I mean, we have to read the we have to re read the word of God and understand what we're reading and just stop and like, oh, well that that throws a wrench in some of our doctrines, doesn't it? 
Continuing, <laughs> all the nations have fallen because of the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, Babylon's, and the kings of the earth have committed acts of sexual immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich from the excessive wealth of her luxury. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Why? <laughs> so that you don't participate in her sins and receive any of her plagues, for her sins have piled up as high as heaven, and Yahweh has remembered her offenses. Now, I would say that this is one of many more we're going to read here in mere moments that is pointing to a distinction about coming out and why. The, the ways of the nations that we talked about in previous episodes in the last 30 days or so is always driving home this point that the nations are governed by their own lawlessness, their own ideas, their own ways, their own belief systems. We, we what? We call evil good and good evil, another, another prophesied um, quality of the generations that are in the end of the age. We do what we want, okay? I love Jesus. Are you telling me I don't know God? Let's just be honest and hard. Some of us hear that. Well, that's not my point, brother. I don't know why you're so mad at me. All I'm saying is, how do we define holiness? How do we say what is right? As we talked about in the last couple episodes, the Hebrew word for good, tov, how do we know what is good? It, it, what we're told, the Bible tells us what is good, what is pleasing, what is right. I'm just saying we can't go by our own criteria. We must know or else we're living as the fallen Babylonian kingdoms do, governing themselves and full of idolatrous ways of, of whoring ourselves with, the, with, the, with Lady Babylon and her sexual immorality. We're committing acts of adultery with her. What's the verbiage here? Wedding model, Hebrew wedding model stuff, all these things. That's why you were divorced. That's why we have the two-house reality. Ah, moving on. Holiness is an action. It's got to be. It's got to be something that is added to our lives. It's got to be. <laughs> we've got to be separated out, and we've got to be holy as he is holy. We've got to become holy by eradicating the Babylonian ways and systems that are ingrained in us, just like... It's DNA almost in our very fibers of our beings. We do this, we do this. We don't question that. We've got to cast those things aside. We've got to leave them aside in order to be holy as he is holy and come into his governing authority and submit ourselves to his rulings, his ways alone. Let's talk about the first Passover event, shall we? This is a wonderful example to me. Um, and this also continues the, the proper biblical understanding of signed, marked ones. Um, Exodus chapter 12, it tells us this, quote, For I will go through the land of Egypt on that night and fatally strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the human firstborn to animals and against all the Elohim, the gods of Egypt. And I will execute judgments. I am Yahweh Elohim. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will come upon you. Okay, so so why am I saying this? This, this to me is, is, a, is a beautiful picture of, of the biblical understanding of holiness within the first Passover record. It is what Passover was and is. 
Now we have the memorial of that, and, and man, don't even get me started on all that, but we have to peer inside the Passover and not just see it as some like cool biblical history. It was a it was literally the blood of the lamb was literally a sign on the doorpost that said, you know what? You can't come in here because we are a marked, identifiable, consecrated, holy people that are Yahweh's possession, and therefore we are preserved. We are spared. We are delivered. Does it sound like Yeshua to anyone else? That's all the beautiful imagery within the Messiah and his shedding of blood is the perfect slain lamb. It's endless, y'all. It's endless, this stuff. Marked. Marked people. And this biblical pattern is all over Passover. Set apart unto Yahweh as his identifiable people. It was not just imputed as a gift, and it is not now. Now I'm going to make I'm going to use Passover to make this point clear. As we ask the question, is holiness imputed as a gift, or is it added to us by what we do and do not do? Because, friends, let's just be honest. The majority Christian church hates talking about anything we have to do. I don't have to do that. Why do you feel, Joel, that you have to do those things? Why do you have to wear tassels? Why do you have to honor Sabbath? Why do you have to abstain from pork? Why do friends, and, and I've said this for the last few years, we, we, we've got, when I hear that phrase, we have to, I stop and I just say, that's the whole problem. Right here is the whole problem, is you have to. And this goes back to the angry master understanding. Because we've not known Yahweh, and we've not seen his law as beautiful and kind and good for our benefit and for our preservation. Our, okay, so let's put it like this. Passover. Can we, can we say this? Man, I was talking to my wife about this two years ago, and we, are just, we were both of us just gushing over this beautiful picture within Passover towards this point about holiness and consecrated sacred space and sacred people within the sacred space. Okay, so let me ask you this. Is Exodus chapter 12 a command from Yahweh? We could do this with any number of things throughout the Bible. Is this a command? Put the blood on the doorposts. It shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. Is that a command? Yes, of course. <laughs> My 10-year-old son could easily understand that and explain it to me and why it's a command. So, is that command burdensome? You don't... <laughs> Let me think about it. Think about... I mean, and there may have been those that did this. I've said this for years. There may have been Israelites who did not do it who did not put the blood on the doorpost, go in, lock the door, and stay in till morning. There may have been people who peeked out and went out. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that, and I'm not trying to add to Scripture. I'm just saying from a wondering standpoint, if perhaps it's not recorded, if perhaps. Is that okay? And, and we can say this. If someone disobeyed the command, and, well, I'll stay in till morning, but I'm not doing the blood on the doorpost. That's, that's silly. Right, I hear that about so many things about uh, towards Torah and towards Yahweh's law, His commands. That's just that doesn't even make any sense. Okay, so are you telling me that killing a lamb and taking its blood and dipping 
Does that make sense to you, friend? Does that make sense to you? No, it makes no sense unless we have the perspective of the Father who's orchestrating an incredible plan that is so beyond and above us, we humble ourselves to yield to it and say, Father, because you told me to do it, I'm going to do it, and I don't care if I understand why or not. Friends, I'm just being hard and harsh right now. That is obedience. That's obedience. I have a 10-year-old son whose will is as big as the Empire State Building right now, and unless he humbles himself to his daddy's instruction and his command, he is a rebellious son, period. If I give him the most ridiculous command right now, I call him down here, I say, son, put on a pink wig and your pajamas and mommy's boots and go run up and down our road here for the next 10 minutes and 27 seconds and don't come back until your watch beeps and tells you to come back. If that boy looks at me and says, dad, that's the most foolish thing I've ever been told. I'm not doing it. He is a rebellious son. Let's just be, let's just be lighthearted. Yet, yet simple. That's rebellion. He has no right, no authority in and of himself as a, as a submissive son, as a child, to look to the father and say, I don't, I don't think that makes any sense, daddy. Tell me something else to do that makes more sense, okay? I'll do that. Friends, we have got to get it through our minds that Yahweh's ways are above ours, and they need to stay there. We simply need to do what he said to do and not do what he said don't do and keep it as simple as we can as humble, obedient children. I know that gets me fired up, but I mean, it's really that simple. Because again, tell me that killing the blood, killing a lamb and splattering its blood all over the doorpost of your house makes a bit of sense. And if you do that, the angel of death won't come by and kill your first, firstborn son before morning. What is foolishness to us is irrelevant. It is irrelevant. If it makes me holy, consecrated, sacred, set apart unto Yahweh, and thereby preserved, saved, rescued, delivered, then yes and amen, I'm going to do it. Is that legalism? Is that legalism? Is that mere law-keeping because you're just trying to carry out hollow traditions? No, friend. No way. That is the heart of a man willing to look like a complete fool in the eyes of other men to please his father. I want to be like that. I'm not. I still consider the I still consider my appearance, what others think of me, how they view me. They don't understand. They think I'm crazy. My family thinks I've lost my mind. I'm trying to be a law-keeping Jew. I want to I want to defend myself. I want to I want to explain myself so you know who I really am. But I want to be settled and sure and say, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. It's all about pleasing my father. First, not to be rude, not to be uh, offensive for the sake of being offensive. But I mean, a heart's posture of pleasing my father, period. And everything else just plays out however it will. That's what I'm saying. So to get back to my notes. Passover. Those who did as Yahweh commanded were the set-apart holy ones. It is that simple. Who, or more importantly, whose they were, had to look like something by their actions in response to his commands for their good. Excuse me, in this case, for their very lives. 
to receive Father's blessing. Because he's a covenantal father. And if you keep the covenant, there's blessing. And if you break it, there's curses. It's that simple. Whether we like it or not is irrelevant. Here's my quote that I said I'm going to repeat every couple parts. Ones who separate themselves and their conduct will be separated by the good shepherd for his father. This is going to come to a culmination point later. All right, so now we're going to read some more scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you're a follower, a longer, you can turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 14. Oh, man. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. We talked about that much in this series so far. But, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, in your conduct. Why? Because it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, don't be conformed to what? The ways of the nations that you used to walk in and under, the governmental rule of the Babylonian kingdoms of men. Don't do that anymore. You were ignorant then, but instead, like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all of your conduct, in your behavior, in your literal day-to-day decision-making, in what you do. And this is why I say this, in what you eat, in what you wear, in what you watch, in what you listen to, in what you ingest, in what you say, in all of these things, your conduct... Be holy as he is holy. Friends, this is why it will take the rest of our lives. This answers the question from part one. At the very beginning introduction level of this series, what do we do now? If, I pose the question, if holiness is not imputed and just dumped onto us like a truck backing up and giving us everything in its fullness at our salvation, but if in fact it's added to us incrementally as we mature, then what do we do? This is what we do. This, this is what we do. We leave all of the ways of the nations in us, sin, self, lust, passions, rebellion, self-governing, all these things, we leave those and it will take us the rest of our lives to become holy as he is holy. As we see here, now this is the other side of Yeshua now, 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter's charge to be holy is directly connected to conduct, and he's quoting Leviticus chapter 19. Peter and his listeners would have, of course, known this clearly. Perhaps many people today would not know that, but back then, front and center, oh yeah, Leviticus chapter 19, they could pro- many of them, some of them, could have quoted it. So we must ask, is Peter assuming You will also continue with the rest of the verse that follows that part specifically that goes on to state this, quote, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for I, Yahweh, your Elohim, am holy. Then, we could say, every, okay, because we've already said that. You understand what I'm saying? If I make this clear. First Peter is quoting Leviticus 19. So Peter's quoting 19 about the be holy as Elohim is holy. 
Now, could he have also just, he would have understood that they knew what else was in there, such as this? Every one of you shall reverence his mother and father. You shall keep my Sabbaths. I am Yahweh your Elohim. Do not turn to idols and do not make for yourselves molten gods, for I am Yahweh your Elohim. So, of course, we clearly see we're told to be holy as he is holy because that made it into the First Peter 1 text. But what about honoring our father and mother? Again, that's the original text in its fullness. It goes on to talk about honoring your father and mother. Is this still intact for the hearer of Peter at the time, the, those, the, the ones who were listening to him speak? Is it applicable to us today to honor our father and mother? Few, if any, would argue that yes, of course, of course. So what then of what follows it then? Keep my Sabbaths, says Yahweh your Elohim. Well, many would say, now that isn't for today. Okay, well, what about what the verse concludes with? Don't turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. Can we do that? No. I've done this almost verbatim a couple episodes back in a different series that we did. Talking about feasts of the Lord or festivals of men. How can we extract and remove the exhortation to keep Yah's Sabbaths, yet do and believe that is for us today what is on bookends on both sides? And see, this is what I'm presenting. Is it possible that many of us, for most of our lives, have, we have, have taken the license to pick and choose what we follow to make us holy? I would say yes, we have. Moving on. If we're all honest, holy conduct means little in Christianity as a whole. It's, it's just factual. I'm not being hard. I'm not trying to be rude and hurtful. It's just true. And again, I was in church my whole life. I'm 48 years old. I was a youth pastor at two Baptist churches. I feel like I've seen a whole lot. I've seen a whole lot of denominations and, and flavors and types and prophetic movements and, and miracles and signs and wonders and, and humdrum Boring Christianity and Pentecostal tongues and yelling and falling out. I've seen a whole lot of things, friend, but I've not seen much holiness. I've not seen much holiness. I don't mean a name on a church sign either or a denomination. I'm talking about what the Bible says is holy, sacred, consecrated. Morality, perhaps, and even that's questionable. Those that identify with majority Christianity really don't often look much different than the world. That's probably more true today than it's been perhaps ever. In fact, we've gone as far as to justify being so by stating that we must be like our pagan neighbor, our pagan neighbors in order to reach them for Jesus. You ever heard the phrase that you're so heavenly minded you're no earthly good? Been told that before. That's encouraging. <clears throat> However, the Hebrew understanding of Kodesh or, or Kadosh that Peter is referencing here specifically is a consecrated set-apart vessel, a hallowed and dedicated sanctuary even. It's much more than mere morality. Much more than morality. So what is it then, this mysterious holiness? I would submit that there's much more for us to do on this side of our salvation and regeneration. 
In Messiah, we have been made capable, empowered even, to do so much more than leave behind sin. That should be grade one, maybe maybe mid-kindergarten. And this is why it's no coincidence that, that Peter tells us in the preceding verse, leading up to what we just read, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That's our starting point, friends. There must be a place where those in Messiah move into maturity in regards to holiness and consecratedness. I would say that holiness is the fruit on the tree of spiritual maturity. Not Bible knowledge, not your your ability to teach Sunday school, not how many people you healed last week, not how you move in the gifts of the Spirit, not any of these things that we could list an endless list of, but I would say that holiness is the fruit on the tree of spiritual maturity. Many like myself for so many years confuse righteousness or justification with holiness. Citing many phrases of Paul, as in Romans chapter 4, and let's read this. What does the scripture say? To use this as, as let's make some clarity in case in case any of us are, are holding to the opinion that, that holiness is like justification or righteousness. Romans chapter 4, Paul says, what does the scripture say? Abraham believed Yahweh and it was counted to him as righteousness. We know that's Genesis chapter 15. We know Paul told the assembly at Corinth, quote, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of Yah in him. Philippians 3, 9. Paul says this, that we have attained righteousness, quote, through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which comes from Yah on the basis of faith. Okay, so faith we don't have time to get into all that, but I'm trying to I'm trying to differentiate between the two. Number one, we must we must begin to rightly see faith as action. Even that would be a good starting point. <laughs> Biblical faith, as we're told, is a substance. We're told it's something tangible. It's identifiable. Number two, I'm in no way disagreeing with the gift of faith or even righteousness that's imputed to us. Yet we must make a distinction between what Paul is referring to as righteousness and what the Bible presents as holiness. For I would say and submit to you to search out for yourself that they are not the same. They are not synonymous. I don't ever see that connection in here where, where holiness is, is boxed up alongside righteousness and brought to us. And we'll get to more scriptures that, that make that clear here in a few moments. And if we're not careful to separate these two, we'll have errant doctrines that have set up a belief system that is constructed upon this confusion. So, for example, if Christianity instructs people that they simply believe, receive imputed righteousness, which equally deems you mysteriously holy as well, then off you go. There, there's nothing left. You're sealed, you're good to go for the rest of your days, presumed holy. Right? If it's, a, if it's an all-inclusive gift that is bestowed to mankind at conversion, true conversion, spiritual, supernatural regeneration, then why would you do anything else for the rest of your days? And friend, no one can argue the point that that is what the Christian church has become. 
is a waiting for Beulah land people. Now, I get that's old-time religion to the utmost, that where I live here in the United States is still alive and well. Loathing the here and now and just waiting to see Aunt Bessie walk in the pearly gates when they die. I mean, seriously, that's almost the exact verbiage still used today. But still, I would say that we have this, this idea that, that in Jesus, we have got... We have been given and bestowed every single thing in fullness right then, right there at our salvation experience. And even that, we have to be careful. Those who endure to the end will be the ones who are who are saved. We are being saved. I'm in Christ by faith and poof, I'm holy. But we have to search the scriptures to see if this is true. And that's what I'm trying to do here. That's my attempt to do here as we wrap up this part here and move um, into the next part that we will talk about. Oh man, where are we? First Thessalonians chapter four, second Corinthians chapter seven, Colossians chapter one. Oh gosh, we got a lot to cover. I hope we're learning. I hope I'm learning with you. I'm, I'm not trying to tell you something I've mastered or listen to this truth. We have to ask the question, though, how is holiness a part of our life? How, how, how do we make the essence of who we are rightly scripturally defined as a holy, set-apart, consecrated people? Is it something that we have to add to our lives? I believe it is, and I believe the scriptures are clearly painting the picture that that is in fact true without any question. So we will continue this series uh, for as long as it takes. Ah, man, we're almost halfway. <laughs> so thank you for, for watching. Seriously, thank you for, for watching. Please contribute in the comment section your thoughts, your opinions, verses, challenges, exhortations. Something nice to say, that's fine too. Anything you wanna, want to uh, say, post it down below, won't you? Thank you so much for watching. This is the Path to Zion podcast where we are rediscovering the ancient way. Thank you and amen.